0: Hello friends, welcome, welcome to episode six in our new series about prohibition from hatchets to hoods, mayhem in a dry America. Today, we're going to explore the New York jazz and speakeasy scene and meet a few people who embodied that old adage. Sometimes appearances can be deceiving. And of course, if there's anywhere in time and place to reinvent yourself, it's New York City in the 1920s. I'm Sharon McMahon, and here's where it gets interesting. From a young age, the Prince of Wales, who would later become King Edward VIII of Britain, was captivated by American culture. He loved everything from cowboys to chewing gum. He made several visits to the United States in the 1920s, when he himself was a devilishly good-looking man of 25. And he delighted in the lavish parties, the jazz music scene, and above all, American women. He partied every night. He partied hard. The El Fey, a well-known New York City nightclub, was a melting pot of patrons. Everyone from the super wealthy to politicians, college boys, mobsters, and the working class people jostled together for a space in the speakeasy. All it took to get inside was a little bit of pocket money and the passcode. In its heyday, it was visited by celebrities like Babe Ruth, Charles Lindbergh, Charlie Chaplin, Rudolph Valentino, England's Lord Mountbatten, and on one fateful night, the Prince of Wales, heir to the British throne. It was just his luck that on the night the Prince of Wales partied at the Elfe, Prohibition agents raided the club. As the legend goes, a clever, quick-thinking hostess saved the prince's bacon by tossing him an apron and directing him to cook eggs. Oh, prince? No, there's no... I'm not sure. I don't know. What are you talking about? Prince? There's no prince here. How did you want your eggs again? I imagine that's exactly how it went down. (laughs) Isidore Izzy Einstein and his partner Mo Smith were prohibition agents responsible for thousands of raids like the one on the El Fay, The media delighted in recounting the adrenaline-filled scenes because they were so entertaining, like this mention in a spring 1922 edition of the New York Herald. The agents had no trouble in most of the places, but at a few, the owners or bartenders resisted or tried to escape with the evidence. An escape was attempted at a hole in the wall, 137 Pierpont Street, and the agents had to smash a door leading to a rear room with an ax to catch a bartender who was trying to run away with several bottles of booze. The owner of a saloon in 35 Central Avenue tried to smash the bottles containing his booze when the Raiders entered, but missed with one bottle and it hit a boy on the head. But more entertaining than these news reports was Agent Izzy Einstein himself. Once, it's said, Izzy stood out in the freezing New York night wearing only his underclothes until he began to tremble and his teeth chattered uncontrollably. That was the cue for his partner Mo, who was much more appropriately dressed in a hat and coat. Mo led his near frozen partner, into an illegal bar and yelled urgently for someone to give him a drink to warm him up. As soon as the bartender handed a drink to Izzy, the undercover agents knew they had him. Izzy's cuffs came out and he delivered his line to the stunned bartender who thought he was helping a poor guy out. There's sad news here, Izzy said. You're under arrest. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water, which is filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. And that's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the canopy filtered showerhead is A breeze to install. They have a unique quick filter replacement feature that allows for seamless filter replacement, unlike any others on the market. Go to Canopy.co to save $25 off your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, my listeners can use code SHARON at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you the show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What is the first thing you would do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you like take a nap, read a book, go for a run, meet a friend for coffee? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If your time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and to make it a priority. And therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I know so many people who have been helped by talking to a licensed professional. It helps them identify what their priorities are and structure their life around the things that matter. So if you are thinking of starting therapy, consider giving BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com Sharon today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Sharon. Being a part of a royal family might seem enticing, but more often than not, it comes at the expense of everything else, like your freedom, your privacy, and sometimes even your head. Wondery's new podcast, Even the Royals, pulls back the curtain on royal families, past and present, from all over the world to show you the darker side of what it means to be royalty. From icons like Grace Kelly, Oscar-winning actress turned princess of Monaco, who the world saw as the ultimate good girl. She mastered playing a happy wife and mother, but beneath it all, she was desperately lonely. Grace spent her whole life working towards perfection, and it ultimately cost her her happiness. Or King Ludwig II from Bavaria, he was only 18 when his father died leaving the crown to him and a duty to rule that he never wanted. He refused to lead and used funds from the royal treasury to further his extreme love of opera. But this choice eventually cost him the crown and his life. Follow Even the Royals on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge Even the Royals ad-free right now on Wondery+. Plus. The beginning of Prohibition on January 17, 1920, shuttered thousands of previously legal saloons but did nothing to eliminate drinkers' desire or demand for alcohol. What it did do was force them to get creative about procuring it. Those in search of alcohol really had five options, several of which we talked about in previous episodes. You could get it from a doctor or a pharmacy for quote-unquote specific medicinal purposes clergymen had access to it for specific religious purposes, bootleggers made a living out of selling it, you could make it at home, or people could patronize an illicit bar, nicknamed a speakeasy because would-be entrants had to whisper a password to keep the place discreet and secret. Interestingly, the term speakeasy predates Prohibition by a couple of decades and originated from Samuel Hudson, an American journalist in 1889 Pittsburgh. There, a new liquor law drastically reduced the number of taverns to under 100 for the whole city, which in turn led to an explosion of under-the-radar illegal bars. Hudson asked a friend to take him to one. During their adventure, the friend offered up an anecdote about a local old Irish widow who sold illegal alcohol and cautioned customers to spake easy now, the police are at the door. You like my impression? <laughs> it was really good. It was, you, I sounded like an old Irish woman selling illegal alcohol, right? But the phrase stuck, spake easy evolved into an American-accented speakeasy, and patrons began applying it to the hundreds of unlicensed bars that popped up throughout the city. Hudson returned home to Philadelphia and brought the term along with him, which meant that by prohibition's onset 30-ish years later, there was already an easy word to reach for when people whispered about illegal liquor joints. Prohibition birthed the rise of speakeasies And by their very secretive hidden nature, they appealed to anyone looking for excitement. No longer was a bar a male-only space. Speakeasies offered a literal new place for women to drink and to dance and to smoke and to chat with other patrons, including men. In fact, speakeasies changed drinking and dating. Women were welcome to sit at the bar and drink as long as they had the money to do that, and they did giving rise to a popular new drink, the mixed cocktail. Mixing alcohol with juice, sugared water, and soft drinks took some of the edge off of hard liquor and offered a sweeter option for people who didn't like unadulterated booze. They wanted to partake in the entire speakeasy experience. Speakeasies weren't the only type of illegal establishments. In urban areas, there was a whole spectrum of places to get drunk, from upscale clubs with jazz bands and dance floors to seedy dive bars and gin joints. What they had in common, of course, was illegal alcohol and people willing to risk breaking the law for a drink. The atmosphere of a speakeasy, though, varied depending on its location and clientele. The speakeasies that doubled as jazz clubs, restaurants, and nightclubs usually featured live music and were popular with celebrities and the wealthy. In the less upscale places, there was usually not much more than a simple bar with a railing at the bottom for patrons to prop up a foot as they stood shoulder to shoulder facing a wall of illegal liquor. If drinking alcohol is gonna get patrons in the door, then what is gonna keep them there? Live music and dancing, of course. Jazz music had begun to find a dedicated audience when Prohibition went into effect. But what Prohibition did for jazz was create an underground nightclub culture that made the already popular music of the 1920s even more mainstream. The Cotton Club in Harlem was the most famous because of its live lineup of the most popular jazz musicians of the time. And the Swanky 21 Club in New York City had multiple floors with two dining rooms, a dance floor, two bars, and underground passageways to a secret room full of alcohol. While widely recognized as a genre of music with roots in black culture, jazz was extensively marketed toward the wealthy white elite. Jazz legends like Louis Armstrong and Duke Ellington, King Oliver, Bestie Smith, Fats Waller, and Paul Whiteman, they became wildly popular with both black and white audiences during what F. Scott Fitzgerald called the jazz age the racial politics of jazz and the packaging of music for different audiences could be an entire episode in and of itself. Many Prohibition-era jazz players were Black Americans and their audiences exclusively white, especially in upscale establishments. But Black and tan clubs were born when the underground club culture promoted integrated audiences, which was groundbreaking in a time when segregation was both the social practice, but also government policy. Some speakeasies were open at all hours so that working men getting off the night shift could pop in for a shot of liquor on their way home for breakfast. Others were all about the nightlife. Photos of speakeasies from the 1920s often show men in suits and hats and women in dresses and jewelry and high heels. And you may not know this, but speakeasies helped to usher in the sale of finger foods. That's right, bar food. It wasn't mozzarella sticks and fries back then, but hors d'oeuvres, little bites of something delicious. This was ingenious for a couple of reasons. First, selling small quantities of food alongside drinks encouraged patrons to stay and spend and drink more. Second, The food helped to absorb some of the alcohol so that when the patrons exited, they weren't as likely to stumble around the streets drunk. The modern mindsets of the youth and these new clandestine places with food, music, and alcohol completely changed the way they could experience romantic encounters. Flappers were a symbol of the 1920s, women who eschewed Victorian rules on how ladies dressed and behaved. These rebellious dancing women cut their hair into sleek bobs and they raised their hemlines. They rolled down or went without stockings and they even painted their knees. Okay, are you aware of this? Are you aware of knee painting? Makeup of course, has always been a way for people to express their individuality, and flappers wanted to draw the eye to a body part that had long been concealed, the knees. They begin by accentuating them with just a little bit of rouge to draw attention to them like you would your cheeks, but some went so far as to paint flowers or even portraits of people on their knees. It was such a popular trend, by the way, both in Paris and the US, that it became the subject of fashion articles, songs, there were even poems written about this. Just as speakeasies offered new space where women and men could share a talk or smoke or drink and a dance, so too did it expand the opportunities for socializing among white and black patrons. The influx of young whites into Harlem and Chicago clubs to dance to black jazz musicians led to some of the dance crazes of the 1920s, and suddenly everybody is out there doing the Charleston and the Foxtrot and the Lindy Hop. But corruption was an inherent part of speakeasies. Owners regularly bribed police officers who were willing to look the other way for either free drinks or cash. These bribed officers tipped off bar owners about planned raids by federal prohibition agents. Stashes and stockpiles of liquor, if discovered, could be confiscated and used to prosecute owners of speakeasy. So most proprietors had multiple inventive hiding places for their inventory. Unfortunately for them, Izzy Einstein, an unlikely agent in the federal prohibition unit, was uncannily successful. In locating these types of stashes, Izzy always commented as he reached for his handcuffs. There's sad news here. You're under arrest. Support for today's episode comes from One Skin. It is really important to shift your skincare routine with the changing of the seasons. Y'all know that. I'm into skincare, I've been into skincare for a while now, and one of the things that I really love about One Skin is that they have so much R&D in their products. This is not just cute packaging, this is not just celebrity endorsements. Their products treat the root causes of aging, not just the symptoms. In a third-party 12-week clinical trial performed by third-party research organizations, OS1 face was clinically proven to strengthen the skin barrier. Very important, the main job of your skin is to be a barrier. Improve skin health markers and diminish visible signs of aging. Wrinkles were diminished in 87% of users. Again, this is independent third-party testing. They combine tissue engineering data analysis and cutting edge longevity science to create the world's most effective product to target skin aging. And I love how easy it is to integrate into your skincare routine. You can keep using what is already working for you and integrate One Skin. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code Sharon at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code Sharon. After you purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. New Year, healthier skin. That's OneSkin. Help your skin stay younger and healthier for longer with OneSkin i have been using the olive and june mani system to do my nails at home for years years and i wouldn't keep doing it if it didn't work if i didn't like it if the results didn't look good if it wasn't way more convenient than going to the nail salon i wouldn't keep doing it but i do and i consistently have nice looking nails i really like that olive and june protects my nails keeps them from chipping splitting cracking. And I love that Olive & June includes everything you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. They also have salon grade tools that are designed to make your DIY easier. When you get the Olive & June Mani System, you can customize it with your choice of six polishes. My favorites are like the light colors. I like nudes, but they have amazing vibrant shades and the polish doesn't chip for seven days or more. It breaks down to like $2 a manicure. And once you practice, once you watch their videos and follow their tips and tutorials, you will find that it actually is easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. Visit oliveandjune.com Sharon for 20% off your first Manny system, that's O-L-I-V-E, a-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash S-H-A-R-O-N for 20% off your first system. I have a question for you. How is your sock drawer looking these days? A little scary? A little scary after a long winter? Maybe it is time for spring cleaning? A little refresh, getting rid of any old pairs that are no longer serving you? Bombus just dropped a bunch of absurdly soft new socks tees and underwear to help you get that drawer in a better place while doing a little good once you try bombas let me tell you it's going to be real hard for you to go back to buying big box store socks i know this from experience they are obsessed with little details like foot hugging honeycomb arch support Your socks don't just like slide down and get all bunchy in your shoes. When you wear Bombas, they have anti blister tabs. I love those because the back heels of your shoes then don't rub against your heel where you get blisters and they have cushioned footbeds. Again, I can't tell you what a difference it makes. And Bombas has a one purchased one donated mission. Every time you buy their socks, tees or underwear, you also donate essential clothing to someone facing homelessness to date, Bombas has donated over 100 million clothing items and counting. So get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash Sharon and use code Sharon for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S.com slash Sharon and use code Sharon at checkout. is he didn't actually set out to be a lawman. In fact, he worked in a post office when Congress, in an attempt to bulk up their staff of prohibition agents, publicized an ad for more men. Is he thought it might be more fun than dealing with the mail and it might pay enough to help him keep his four growing sons fed. So he applied. He actually wasn't anti-booze, but he was pro-law and he dedicated himself to his job Izzy was a regular guy he was pretty short he's like five five and he weighed well over 200 pounds he wasn't the type that turned heads and yet it was his very average looks that made him an ideal agent right like if you're six five and extremely good looking that's not a good idea you stand out too much He could easily just blend into the crowd, and he did, and no one really took much notice of him until the cuffs came out. Izzy was also like weirdly talented with languages. He was super gifted. He could speak Bohemian, Hungarian, Italian, German, Polish, and Yiddish, all of which were assets in New York. With his partner, Mo Smith, they wore a big series of inventive disguises which often included the use of props to help them bust thousands of Volstead Act violators. Although a sketch of his face was frequently included in newspaper articles about him, Izzy's ability to transform himself worked flawlessly on bartenders and patrons. Because there was nothing he would not do. He didn't just, like, put on a new hat each night, and he didn't Merely just put on a disguise. We're not talking about like a wig and some sunglasses. No, he would adopt an entirely new persona in upscale clubs, Izzy would dress to the nines. He would adopt an air of sophistication and always remember to tip generously. He was so skilled at blending in that nobody suspected him of being law enforcement. While the accents, and outfits changed daily. The routine was the same. Izzy and Mo would don a disguise, enter a speakeasy or other illegal bar, and order a drink. Despite not having a background in police work, Izzy quickly learned that in order to successfully prosecute a lawbreaker, he needed evidence. He created his own apparatus that was made from a small bottle, a tube, and a funnel. He concealed the funnel in either his collar or his suit pocket, depending on his disguise of the day. He would pretend to take a gulp of his drink, but instead he would toss it down the funnel where it collected in the bottle housed in his pants pocket. Apparently, he became so skilled that no one noticed that the glass never reached his mouth. Izzy would retreat to the restroom where he would put a stopper in the bottle and noted the time and place of the alcohol sale, and then that evidence could be used at trial. Izzy never seemed to really delight in another's misfortune, but he was pretty firm in his goal of upholding the law. What gave him the most satisfaction was that he could perform his job while flexing his creativity at the same time, which probably was not a good fit at the post office. (laughs) You are not encouraged to wear disguises at the post office. He arrested bartenders as a pickle packer, a gravedigger, a fruit vendor, a fisherman, and countless other working class laborers. Can you imagine being like, this is my pickle packer disguise? <laughs> he carried law books into establishments that catered to lawyers. And one time, he carried a trombone into a bar full of musicians. Luckily, when they cheered him on to play, he was able to make a good enough sound so that they were all like, hey, great job. <laughs> he often changed his nationality with disguises. Now, this is not something that people would do today, but this is what he did then. He would change his facial features using different kinds of disguises. He would also use his language skills to pick different accents so that he would be able to better blend in with the crowd in the bar. It definitely helped serve his goal of staying undetected so he could make arrests. Izzy and Mo were so skilled and so unrecognizable that they were sent outside of city limits to bust up rural establishments even. They would pose with shovels as grave diggers in nearby fields. They would wait until vehicles with liquor deliveries would show up to small town bars and then they would go in for the arrest. As Izzy's success rate grew, his arrest locations grew wider. He was successful in Detroit as an unemployed mechanic, in Rhode Island as a construction worker, and in El Paso as a day laborer. In one Michigan speakeasy, the bartender refused to serve him because he swore up and down that he was Izzy Epstein. You mean Einstein, Izzy said? When the bartender insisted the correct last name was Epstein, Izzy bet him a drink. When the bartender poured him a drink, Izzy Einstein cuffed him and said, there's sad news here. You're under arrest. (laughs) He actually began to set timed challenges for himself. I mean, like this shows his level of creativity that the disguises and the ethnicities and the accents and the locations, that wasn't enough. Now it needed to be timed. He claimed he could hop off a train and catch a bootlegger in 30 minutes. In Chicago and St. Louis, he found liquor in 21 minutes. It only took 17 minutes in Atlanta and 11 minutes in Pittsburgh. But in New Orleans, (laughs) dear, sweet New Orleans, he broke all expectations by arresting someone in Thirty five seconds. <laughs> he had gotten into a cab, asked the driver where he could cure his thirst, and when the driver reached back into the back seat with some alcohol, Izzy cuffed him and you guessed it, said there's sad news here. You're under arrest. <laughs> Of course, Izzy and Moe's unconventional takedowns and high success rates made for great headlines. I'm sure they were eating it up. They had to be. Their exposure in newspapers across the country made them celebrities. Reporters gave Izzy all sorts of clever nicknames like the incomparable Izzy, Honest Izzy, and somebody put some extra work into this one. America's premier hooch out. Details of their arrests were always publicized, and the pair of agents opted to milk their celebrity by scheduling their arrests around the time of peak news hours. They were notorious for going out on Sunday raids in order to make the front page of the paper on Monday mornings, the highest-profile newspaper day. One Sunday, they made a record-breaking 71 raids in 12 hours. And the New York Times ran a huge story. Here's a little bit of what it said. Izzy Einstein and Mo Smith went out yesterday on one of their Sunday drives. By nightfall, they had begged 16 saloon keepers and bartenders for violations of the Volstead Law and had collected three truckloads of seized liquors worth $24,000 at present prices. Sporting disguises, Einstein and Smith set out in a big-piece aero car with three trucks trailing. They jumped all over town and, leaving the trucks at an appointed rendezvous, entered one place after another and bought drinks without being recognized and exchanged pleasantries with the bartenders about Izzy and Moe. They were talking about themselves in third person. When they flashed their shields, smiles changed to frowns. One bartender fainted and another collapsed, and a physician had to be called. In reporting the raids, Izzy Einstein said, It was easy picking. Every bartender and saloon keeper thought he knew Mo and me, and in some cases, they had our pictures on the wall. I could walk into nearly any place in town and buy a drink. The average saloon keeper is so anxious to sell his hooch that he loses all sense. Of precaution. This loss of precaution had dire implications. It should come as no surprise then that speakeasy culture went hand in hand with organized crime. Supplying speakeasies with alcohol was an extremely lucrative opportunity for those who worked outside the law. Al Capone, who I actually, I have a lot to tell you about him in the next episode, controlled thousands of illicit speakeasies in the late 1920s, and allegedly made like $60 million a year doing that. During Prohibition, New York City held the record for the highest numbers of illegal speakeasies at over 100,000. That is bananas. Most were just like cheap places to get cheap booze, cheap entertainment built around the simple business plan to part a working man from his money. But it was Texas Nin who dominated the more upscale establishments frequented by affluent patrons. She was an actress by trade, and during Prohibition, the El Faye was her stage. What made Texas so great as an MC was not her booming voice or her cowboy tricks, but her ability to create a festive atmosphere that made her patrons want to stay, and of course, have another drink. One night in 1924, the bootlegger and racketeer Larry Faye saw her performance and gave her the job as hostess of his popular El Fay club. The patrons ate it up. Her lively MC bit became famous. Word spread, not just to thrill-seekers, but also to federal authorities who were constantly on the lookout for places that violated the law. And so, one night, they conducted a raid. And Texas liked to tell people that it was her quick thinking that saved the prince's skin. She said she put him to work in the kitchen until the coast was clear. It must have worked, because there is no evidence that the Prince of Wales was arrested or even recognized by the agents who infiltrated the Elf Bay. But it is well documented that he carried on in his carefree, partying lifestyle as long as he could. Edward VIII was crowned the King of the British Empire in 1936, if only shortly. He abdicated his role in just under a year for literally the only thing that could get a guy to give up his kingship, love. But that is a story for another time. You can also watch the TV series The Crown. (laughs) Being a part of a royal family might seem enticing, but more often than not, it comes at the expense of everything else, like your freedom, your privacy, and sometimes even your head. Wondery's new podcast, Even the Royals, pulls back the curtain on royal families, past and present, from all over the world to show you the darker side of what it means to be royalty. From icons like Grace Kelly, Oscar-winning actress turned princess of Monaco, who the world saw as the ultimate good girl. She mastered playing a happy wife and mother, but beneath it all, she was desperately lonely. Grace spent her whole life working towards perfection, and it ultimately cost her, her happiness. Or King Ludwig II from Bavaria, he was only 18 when his father died leaving the crown to him and a duty to rule that he never wanted. He refused to lead and used funds from the royal treasury to further his extreme love of opera. But this choice eventually cost him the crown and his life. Follow Even the Royals on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge Even the Royals ad-free right now on Wondery+. Support for today's episode comes from One Skin. It is really important to shift your skincare routine with the changing of the seasons. Y'all know that I'm into skincare. I've been into skincare for a while now. And one of the things that I really love about One Skin is that they have so much R&D in their products. This is not just cute packaging. This is not just celebrity endorsements their products treat the root causes of aging, not just the symptoms. In a third-party 12-week clinical trial performed by third-party research organizations, OS1 face was clinically proven to strengthen the skin barrier. Very important. The main job of your skin is to be a barrier. Improve skin health markers and diminish visible signs of aging. Wrinkles were diminished in 87% of users. Again, this is independent third-party testing they combine tissue engineering data analysis and cutting edge longevity science to create the world's most effective product to target skin aging and i love how easy it is to integrate into your skincare routine you can keep using what is already working for you and integrate one skin OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code Sharon at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code Sharon. After you purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. New Year, healthier skin. That's one skin. Help your skin stay younger and healthier for longer with one skin. I have a question for you. How is your sock drawer looking these days? A little scary? A little scary after a long winter? Maybe it is time for spring cleaning, a little refresh, getting rid of any old pears that are no longer serving you. Bombus just dropped a bunch of absurdly soft new socks tees and underwear to help you get that drawer in a better place while doing a little good once you try bombas let me tell you it's gonna be real hard for you to go back to buying big box store socks i know this from experience they are obsessed with little details like foot hugging honeycomb arch support Your socks don't just like slide down and get all bunchy in your shoes. When you wear Bombas, they have anti blister tabs. I love those because the back heels of your shoes then don't rub against your heel where you get blisters and they have cushioned footbeds. Again, I can't tell you what a difference it makes. And Bombas has a one purchased one donated mission. Every time you buy their socks, tees or underwear, you also donate essential clothing to someone facing homelessness to date, Bombas has donated over 100 million clothing items and counting. So get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash Sharon and use code Sharon for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S.com slash Sharon and use code Sharon at checkout. Have you ever experienced a dry itchy scalp or wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised well unfiltered mineral filled water could be the reason why did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry irritated skin and that about 85 percent of the united states uses hard water just filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine and that's where canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the canopy filtered showerhead is, a breeze to install they have a unique quick filter replacement feature that allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market go to canopy.co to save 25 dollars off your canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with canopy's hassle-free filter subscription even better my listeners can use code sharon at checkout to save an additional 10 percent off your canopy purchase hurry your hair and skin will thank you Texas guy named Queen of the New York social scene was welcoming to everyone from gangsters to socialites. Anyone with cash, you can all get in here. You got money, come on in. She was the OG embodiment of Texas chic. Would-be customers waited in lines that wound around entire city blocks. They were that eager to experience some of her hospitality. And of course, her booze, And they would sometimes pay the high rate of a $25 cover fee, which is like $428 today. You can get a premium Hamilton ticket for that much money. (laughs) So that's just the money to get into the bar. That's not covering any of the booze once you get in there. But Texas's larger-than-life personality was amplified by her lengthy, arrest record which she used as material to entertain the crowds. So when agents arrived to shut down speakeasy after speakeasy where she performed, Texas worked it into her act. She'd blow into a gold police whistle that she kept on a chain around her neck and then she would direct the band to play the prisoner's song as she was escorted out. Although she was arrested several times for operating a speakeasy, she was never convicted. And writing about all of this was a journalist named Lipstick. The New Yorker Magazine's resident party girl, Lipstick, reinvigorated the publication at a time when it was struggling to stay afloat. Lipstick allowed readers to live vicariously through her reporting of the outrageous, the shocking, and the disgusting realities of New York City party life. Lipstick was actually Lois Long, and she would become one of the New Yorker's most well-known columnists for nearly 50 years. Lois was the first to make fashion criticism a hallmark of her writing, which she paired with juicy tell-all chronicles of her escapades in 1920s New York. After graduating from Vassar in 1922, Lois moved to New York and worked at various publications, including Vanity Fair and Vogue. She was the epitome of the modern woman. She drank, smoked, and enjoyed all of the nightlife adventures that the city had to offer. She reflected, if you could make it to the ladies room before throwing up, you were thought to be good at holding your liquor. It was customary to give two dollars to the cab driver, if you threw up in his cab, which happened from time to time. If you're picturing like a young Carrie Bradshaw in 1924 at age 23, writing about her adventures with jazz, gin, and jitterbugging her way across New York City, you would probably be spot on. Lois's work expanded to include a column called Tables for Two, which reviewed nightclubs. And Lipstick flouted all modest conventions. She staggered, still drunk, into work in the pre-dawn hour so that she could write her column while the night escapades were still fresh in her mind. If it happened to be a humid New York day, she shed her clothing and worked in a slip. At one point, she and her assistant delighted in using roller skates to move about the office. Women like Texas, Lipstick and the countless flappers and women frequenting speakeasies and jazz clubs found some freedom and flexibility in the illicit underground scene. And women would have a voice too in the repeal of Prohibition, which we're going to hear about later in this series. Despite their 95% success rate. Izzy and Mo were laid off in 1925. It was speculated that it was because Izzy and Mo got more attention than their superiors. The New York Times lamented the loss, saying that the public which viewed them with as much delight as Robin Hood were now denied their adventures as thrilling as Sir Lancelot and Richard Lionheart. Remarkably, in their five years as Prohibition agents, Izzy and Mo made nearly 5,000 arrests and confiscated more than 4 million gallons of illegal alcohol. Without a doubt, they were the most successful Prohibition agents of all time. Two years after being fired slash laid off, the FBI offered Izzy a transfer to Chicago which he declined. He had no desire to leave New York, nor did he want to find himself entangled with Al Capone and his Chicago outfit. Because while some of the debauchery that dominated Prohibition fizzled out after its repeal, the underbelly of the city, organized crime, remained, and it flourished. So, too, did the options for alcohol and the fat of cocktails and mixed drinks increased in popularity. We'll get into those lasting results and the stories that preceded them next time. Thank you for listening to Here's Where It Gets Interesting. This episode is written and researched by Sharon McMahon, Heather Jackson, Valerie Hoback, Amy Watkin, and Mandy Reed. Our executive producer is Heather Jackson. Our audio producer is Jenny Snyder. And it's hosted by me, Sharon McMahon. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform of your choice. We also benefit so much from ratings, reviews, and sharing on social media. Thanks for being here and we'll see you again soon.